from the past. Please listen carefully. Coco. Welcome to the Coco Crew Podcast. A delicious adventure into the world of retro computing news and information. Featuring the Tandy Color Computer. Hey, you got your Coco 3 yet? Coco. Okay, welcome Coco Cruisers. You are listening to the Coco Crew Podcast, episode 64. Of course, we are the original, longest-running, my opinion, most thought-provoking, best-produced, overall most entertaining, <laughs> Coco-oriented podcast available, at least available in 2020. Uh, I, of course, am John Linville. I'm joined here by the usual hosts. Uh, let's see, Mr. Neil Blanchard. Hello, Neil. Hello, John, and everyone listening. All right. Um, Mike Rowan. Hello, Mike. Hello. Proud to be a part of it. <laughs> awesome. And, of course, Mr. Boise Pete. Hello, Boise. We'll be back on the Notorious CCC. <laughs> Very good. All right. Well, let's see. We're coming along. Time's a ticking. As it currently stands, the next Coco Fest, Coco Fest 2021, is uh, approximately seven months away. And the next Tandy Assembly is approximately 12 months away because of our unfortunate postponement or cancellation. Oh, well. <laughs> This has been a bad year for a lot of things. What are we working on? Who's got a project running? Anything cool? Got another game going. Oh, yeah? Well, it's actually a continuation. It's a new version of Flooded from Evan Wright. Oh, yeah? Cool. So he's added some extra features in there, so I'm going to be publishing a few more cartridges uh, in a green, a nice bright green plastic. Okay. Neat. (laughs) That's cool, except that I've still got a few of the uh, <laughs> a few <laughs> of the original flights uh, in boxes. Um, maybe somebody would be interested in that still. Well, yeah, because those are the originals, right? That's uh, rare now. Well, there you go. I've let my, my time off from work kind of pile up towards the end of the year here, and like so many others, we have a use-it-or-lose-it kind of policy. So I uh, recently went through and uh, arranged to have uh, – you know, several longer than usual blocks of time off between now and the end of the year. And so while I don't have much uh, specific to report today, I at least <laughs> have uh, some times lined up where I hope to get something squeezed out before too long. Uh, well, what about acquisitions? Anyone picked up anything recently? A little slow on the, um, on the eBay stuff myself. You know, oddly enough, I think I've really picked up anything new this month. Well, it's been a bad retro month for me. <laughs> what about you guys anybody i've been looking a lot but uh just haven't found anything i wanted uh, the only thing i uh, am in the process of acquiring is a gamester oh yeah <laughs> that, that's coming very soon very cool all right very cool Spend that money more on that later <laughs> in the podcast <laughs> that's right very exciting yeah i've been uh checking the auctions a little more but uh Nothing uh, too exciting lately. All right, well, that's a little bit of an introduction. Nothing too exciting going on, but, uh, you know, time marches on. So why don't we take uh, our first little short break, and then we'll be back with our announcements. Since 1994, Cloud9 has been making cool stuff for your color computer. 
like the Cloud 9 Mini Flash, a flash cartridge for your color computer or Dragon. The Mini Flash gives you a total of four 16K banks of flash memory. You can easily flash ROM images into any of the four 16K banks. Store your favorite DOS ROMs and game packs on the Mini Flash. And the Mini Flash is perfect for prototyping your own ROMs without the need for an EEPROM burner. The Mini Flash comes with flash programming software and test utilities. It's preloaded with HDB DOS for DriveWire and two games from Retro Tinker, Coco Dooku and Follow Coco, so you can use the Mini Flash immediately. The Cloud9 Mini Flash works on all color computer and Dragon models and is housed in a high-quality injection molded cartridge case. The Mini Flash, only from Cloud9. Cool stuff for your color computer. Visit cloud9tech.com for details. All right, Coco Cruisers, we're back. And now it's time for our announcements. As we said before, you are listening to the Coco Crew Podcast. We are available on Twitter with the Twitter handle of at Coco Crew Podcast. That's uh, at sign C-O-C-O-C-R-E-W-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. Uh, if you're prone to sending tweets, feel free to tweet at us, and uh, we may tweet back at you. If you are instead uh, more likely to use Facebook, then uh, we do have a page on the, on the Book of Phases. Uh, this, of course, will be called The Coco Crew Podcast. That's four words for spaces in between. I'm sure if you search for it, you will find it. Come and join us. At, uh, sometimes we get the news out a little early on the, on the Facebook page or uh, have a few other discussions, that sort of thing. Come and check us out. Like the page, join up. Let's see, we're a podcast, so we are available on Apple Podcasts. That's the uh, service formerly known as iTunes. <laughs> we are also available uh, through Google Play. For streaming, we're available through Spotify, we're available on Stitcher, and we're available through the service known as TuneIn. And, of course, if you go to the CocoCrew.org webpage, you'll be able to find um, our, the RSS feed for the podcast, which uh, is what my podcast app tends to prefer to see. But, uh, you know, whatever works for you works for me. <laughs> we do take our audio podcasts each month run them through a little conversion process, turn them into a video that would upload to YouTube. You can listen to the podcast with your eyes, so to speak. <laughs> uh, the advantage of using YouTube is uh, that YouTube does a pretty good job with subtitles. So if, for example, if English is not your first language, or perhaps if you have trouble with uh, accents or anything like that, then uh, this might be an alternative way to consume the podcast and that you might enjoy. So come and check us out on YouTube. Let's see, we are a member of the Throwback Network. This is a list of retro-themed podcasts available um, through the, what, throwbackreviews.com. The link is in the show notes. Most of the podcasts or the podcasts in this list are generally, like I said, retro-themed. Many of them are retro technology from the 80s. Some of them, 80s culture, old TV shows, other things like that. Check it out. So if you are up to date with the Cover Group podcast, then check out the Throwback Network, for other alternative listening sources. We are also available on the Game by Game Podcast Information Hub. This is also a list of retro-themed podcasts, in this case all centered around retro technology, whether it be arcades, old computers, and video game consoles. So, you know, if you are not getting uh, your full fill of retro gaming technology, after you've caught up on all our episodes, you might go check out the Game by Game Podcast Information Hub. Audio for the Cocoa Crew podcast is hosted by 
Libraries. If you have a need to host audio on the internet, whether it be for your business, your church, your your own podcast, or whatever other interest you may have, then we recommend that you check out Cyberears, where you will get your audio on your terms. If you want to reach out to the hosts of the Coco Crew podcast, we have some email addresses available for you. Uh, you can reach all of the hosts at go, that's S-H-O-W, at cococrew.org, that's C-O-C-O-R-E-W dot O-R-G. Or you could use podcast, P-O-D-C-A-S-T, at cococrew.org, or feedback, F-E-E-D-B-A-C-K, at cococrew.org. Those will all reach all the hosts on the Coco Crew podcast. If for some reason you wish to direct your email specifically to just one of the hosts, then I'm available as John, J-O-H-N, at cococrew.org. Neil is available as Neil, N-E-I-L. Mike is available as Mike, M-I-K-E. And Boise is available as Boise, B-O-I-S-Y, at cococrew.org. You have something to say to us, we'll be happy to hear it, uh, either in text or you can send us an audio submission and uh, keep it clean. But other than that, we would definitely consider keeping it uh, putting it on the air, uh, unless you don't want to, either way. <laughs> Just let <laughs> us know. Our show announcements are um, uh, a little sparse. And they continue to be, um, you know, the story of 2020. Coming up October 10th through 11th of 2020, we have VCF East. 2020 virtual hybrid show. So, of course, VCF East would normally be an in-person event held in Wall, New Jersey. Um, but given current events, change it around to have a, a virtualized show. I don't have a lot of details on how to get into it or do whatever, but if you follow the link in the show notes, you'll be able to learn more about certainly how to be part of the show or, or at least how to consume it. It's no secret I'm not really excited about <laughs> these virtual shows. Uh, but if you are, then you should go check it out. And it's coming up October 10th and 11th. Still got Tandy Assembly 2020 listed. It was scheduled for October 30th through November 1st. Uh, but unfortunately, that has been canceled due to the ongoing pandemic with COVID-19. So that leaves our speculation for next year. <laughs> Cocoa Fest 2021, currently scheduled for April 24th and 25th of 2021. Cocoa Fest would normally have been our big event. It used to be our big event. I'm not sure I'm as excited about Coco Fest as I used to be anymore, but that's perhaps that's just on me. <laughs> anyway, whatever it is, it's scheduled for April 24th and 25th. So keep an eye out, and as we get more information, we'll be sure to keep you aware. Also, scheduled for next year, October 1st through the 3rd, Tandy Assembly 2021. That's still scheduled for um, Springfield, Ohio. Is that right, Mike? That is correct. So if there's All an upside, right. we got some sweet dates for 2021. Yeah, very good. And, and it's going to be huge. <laughs> it should be huge. Well, I hope so. Pent up demand. <laughs> so should be a big event. Should be a good event. Should be fun. I'm looking forward to it. Well, that's it. That is the end of our announcements for this month. Uh, we're going to take another little break, and then we'll be back with some news. New for the Dragon 32, it's machine gun warfare in the sky. Your machine, the Royal Marine Spitfire. Eight guns, 16 one-second bursts. Your target, slow-moving Heinkel bombers, escorted by formidable Messerschmitt fighters. Ace high, Mark II. Test your metal in the skies above London. Only £6.95. From Tudor Williams, Bilston West Midlands. Good morning, Unit 6213D67. 
Good morning, 5B6. It is a Saturday. What are your plans for the day? I thought I would first enjoy an energy recharge, then review the newest semiconductor catalog. You can't be serious. I am only joking. We will do what we do every day. Kill all humanoids. Kill all humanoids. Get that humanoid. You must run escape. Android attack from Spectral Associates. You're trapped in a maze surrounded by mechanical enemies. Can you find your way out before the androids eliminate you? Get all humanoids. Kill all humanoids. 32k required. All right, Coco Cruisers. Now it's time for the news. <laughs> oh, sorry. Thought I need a little spice there. The first up news item for this month, we've got a new game from Jim Gary. This is called Cave Raid, because this is my scramble-inspired game, Cave Raid for the DRS-80 MC-10, written in microcolor basic. Prize bonus on level three in the form of rare gold drips worth 1,000 points. Blue drips are worth 100, green drips are worth one, but for every 10, you get a bonus life. You get a bonus for completing worth X100 for any remaining life. Pretty cool. Looks like, uh, like I said, like scramble, flying through a cave. That's good. Pretty cool. Definitely get your MC-10 out because I know you got one. Even if you like to pretend it's, you know, even if it's like your moped, you just don't want to see your your friends to see you riding it, but it's still fun. (laughs) 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 So get out your MC-10, load up the cave raid, pay Mr. Gary is due. Very good stuff. Thank you, Jim. Hey, Jim, I'm not ashamed of my MC-10. (laughs) No one should be, but some people seem to be. I agree. All right, moving on. Our next item. This is from uh, Paul Shoemaker. Uh, this is a new game I've written for the Coco 3 called Poker Squares. A solitaire game where the object is to arrange the 25 randomly drawn cards on a 5x5 five five matrix in order to get the best possible poker hands, both horizontally and vertically. The game is a mix of basic and assembly language graphics routines. And then he's got, uh, you can download the disc image from there. The interesting little card game. So I guess it's like a, a solitaire sort of game. Um, the graphics look nice. I haven't tried yeah, it. Looks real nice. Looks really nice. Seems, seems like a an interesting kind of puzzly logic thing. Yeah. Um, oh, I should try that. It looks like a be a good way to kill a little time. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah, it's kind of kind of poker meets Yahtzee. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But uh, yeah, neat looking game. All right. Very cool. All right. Thank you, Paul. Good stuff. Okay, here's one from um, Soren Rogue. Rogue? Soren, how do you pronounce your last name? Uh, if you're listening, please do send us some feedback. Let us know how to pronounce it. Soren, of course, has done uh, several little, kind of comes out of the blue once in a while with an interesting OS9 related project. I think we might have him in here twice this, this month. It says, Richard Harding sent me several hundred photos from source listings of OS9 on the Dragon 128. Bundle contains ACIA, boot, clock, PIA, RBF, SCF, Cisco, the disk device drivers, and OS 9P1, all for level two. Spent a lot of hours last Sunday to type it in. Posted some of the sources at my site, so there's a link available. So very cool. So it sounds like it's source code for an OS 9 level two for the Dragon. In the world of Nitrous 9, not sure there's the same demand there used to would have been for this, but... It still could be very interesting from a retro archaeology kind of standpoint. And there might even be something in there that you could learn that's new and hadn't seen before. 
or if nothing else, you might compare it to what uh, Nitrous Nine has going on and uh, see if you can understand the difference. Cool. Sounds like a cool, cool thing to do. All right, well, thank you very much, Soren. Can't help but think of Dr. Soren from the Star Trek movie, so <laughs> hopefully you're not an <laughs> evil genius from another planet. <laughs> or from this planet, yeah. Or from this planet, yeah. It's the evil <laughs> genius that would be the problem, right? That's right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Very cool. See, we've got um, a YouTube video from uh, TV Akimos. He's got his Learning 6809 Assembly Series here. Keyboard and joystick reading on the Dragon slash Coco 6809 Lesson E1. I'm not sure how he's doing his numbering scheme. He's got a lot of lessons related to 6809 with a mix of Coco Dragon. He's got some Vectrix. It says here the Dragon keyboard has eight columns and seven rows. It has two analog joysticks. Let's learn how to read from the keyboard and get a simple digital direction out of the joystick. Very cool stuff. Last time I was accused of putting a link to this guy's videos in just for Neil. Uh, Neil, did, did you did you practice? <laughs> I, I got to catch up on that. That's my winter project. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Yeah, he does. Um, I don't know what this guy's background is exactly. I've heard him interviewed on other podcasts, but I don't know if he has an academic background or not. But he, he his instructions or videos are kind of interesting. He does a assembly language on a, a number of platforms. It's probably worth reading or worth listening or watching. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully, at least you'll learn uh, how to properly shift left and right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice, manageable chunks in the video form. So, yeah, yeah. cool series. Oh, that's, yeah, that's good. Yep, very cool. All right, the next news item is Little Brickout by Steve Wozniak, converted to Microcolor Basic by a good friend of the show, Mr. Jim Carey. This is a video that is a YouTube video. looks like uh, I'm not familiar with this game. Apparently, Steve Wozniak wrote it. I'm assuming he wrote it in basic for the Apple at some point. Of course, you know, Jim, he'll take on any challenge and get it done. So it looks like it's running fine on uh, the MC-10. Good work. Yeah, very cool. Never an end to uh, Jim's uh, creativeness and <laughs> willing Truly to produce prolific. for us. Truly <laughs> prolific. All right. Let's see the next news item. Codemex CD6809 History by Carlos Martins Navito. I'm not sure how to pronounce that. Apologies if I got it wrong, but this is a link to a website that talks about the history of the Codemex CD6809. This was a computer, I think, was it in uh, was it in Brazil? Yes. And it uh, looks like it's, I'm assuming it's written in Portuguese. It's a fairly lengthy article with a lot of pictures interspersed. And it seems like a good uh, educational moment to take uh, to learn about a clone of the Coco from another country. It's, it's pretty cool, and there's a there's a translate button at the top, so you can get it in English. It's interesting. I didn't realize how rare this machine was until I read this. Yeah, I love the way it looks. It, yeah. It kind of looks a bit like an Apple II. It looks like a nice keyboard. I'd love to have one if anyone has one <laughs> yeah. that they're ready to sell and ship off to the United States. You'll cover but, the uh, shipping? Yeah, I'll cover the shipping. <laughs> but it does look pretty cool. But uh, let's see, Boise, you do not have one of these, though, right? You, you I do not, no. Um, uh, uh, when I wrote the book on the Coco, I had, I think I was aware of this. I certainly seemed to recall reading about this. I don't know if I wrote about it exactly. There were some other Spanish-based Cocos, one from uh, Mexico, I think, but not this one. I don't think that... Uh, you, you did mention it in the book. I did, okay, but I, I, didn't, yes. I certainly didn't have it. 
I think that uh, maybe it was Rogelio or someone sent me the actual, was it a Microsep? I think it was. It was a Coco yeah. 3, for a, but it was a Mexican Coco 3. And I, I did have that for a while uh, to take pictures of, and I sent it back to Rogelio, of course. But uh, no, I would have loved to have seen one of these in person. I don't think one's ever made it to the fest either. No, I've seen them. Um, I think Daniel has has one that he's posted pictures of. So I've seen the pictures, but uh, obviously I've never had one. It would be really cool, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In fact, there's yeah. enough pictures on the website, or I'm sorry, on the web page that shows kind of what the board layout is like. So I guess it wouldn't be hard to mimic it in an emulator. Cool. All right, the next news item is I have just uploaded a new version for the DOS Plus 5.0 Extended by Pear Surratt. The Dragon DOS, the controller, is similar to to the RS-DOS controller, but slightly different in the way it handles the interrupts for um, basically halting the CPU while it's synchronizing the CPU for reading data off the drive. The biggest hardware difference, at least, when you switch your Coco STC to Dragon mode is to make it work, you know, the emulation that it's using to work like that. If you're using it with a Dragon you want the Dragon DOS to interface, you know, to, to hook into the Dragon Basic. Basically, he's got an updated version of this of the DOS that you're using with the Dragon that he's made available to work on on the Coco SEC, though that you get uh, this DOS Plus 5 extended. I don't know a lot more about it than just what's there. So I don't know what new features or bug fixes you're getting, but, you know, bigger numbers are better, right? <laughs> yep. Right. So. Cool. All right, the next news item is by Guyam, our friend uh, who runs ColorComputerArchive.com. It's a title, I've just updated the Coco SDC image. This is a post on Facebook that I can see, and it, he indicates here that uh, he updated the Coco SDC image with over 600 new disk images with the latest software from the Color Computer Archive. Uh, that is, I guess it's something you can burn onto or, or write onto a uh, an SD card and stick in your Coco SDC and run. Yeah, I think so. I think that's, you know, essentially it's all the, or at least all the certain parts <laughs> of the software on the Color Computer Archive. And it's kind of to to make things easier for the Coco SD users to uh, to load up their SDC or their SD card. I'm sure it probably boots up with SDC Explorer and so that you get that menu experience to boot up. It's an update there. So very cool. All right, we have another one from Jim Gary. Update. <laughs> Pitman is Pitman is this. It's a cool looking game. It's sort of like I don't know. It's sort of like maybe Sakoban, but not quite like that. But basically, there's pits and you have to push boulders into them to get across the pits. And there's a bit of logic to it because the order that you move them in matters. At each level, you have to push boulders around to fill the the pits, and then get through to the exit to get to the next layer. So nice graphics. It's got nice smooth gameplay. Another great game from Jim Gary. Yeah. That's pretty cool. It's amazing how much gameplay you can squeeze out of a really low-resolution video mode. <laughs> it's true. It's true, and you can get lost in it very quickly. Yeah. Good game. Very cool. And, and our next one is another one from Jim Gary. He's ported from com Creative Computing. It's Civil War. Uh, this is more of a text-based game, but it's got some graphics in it. It's a pretty cool game as well where you can fight Civil War battles. And we're not going to spy on you to see which side you take, so, you know. Right. <laughs> you don't have to apologize later or whatever. <laughs> it's just a simulation. 
Exactly. <laughs> Are you only using one side of your disk drives? Well, partner, it's time for you to reach for your six drive. Six drive is a machine language routine that modifies disk extended color basic to allow you to treat each side of your disk drives as independent disks. Six drive supports up to three double sided disk drives, turning them into six independent disk drives. Best of all, Six Drive doesn't require any modifications to your color computer or your disk drives. So what are you waiting for? Holster you a copy of Six Drive today. Six Drive from Gimmisoft. It's spooktacular savings on scary games at your local Radio Shack dealer. Save up to 50% on best-selling titles such as 13 Ghosts, Bedlam, Dancing Demon, Haunted House, Dungeons of Daggerath. These games are sure to please you and your family as you hand out candy to anyone who knocks at your door. It's a happy Halloween from Radio Shack, a candy company. All right, and we have another one from Soren Rug. It is progress on OS 9 level 2 using 4K block size. Uh, we've covered this one before, but uh, he's continuing to post progress on this. If you're familiar with OS 9 level 2, it's set up to use 8K block size. Some people have found that to be too large a chunk of memory. They like to be more granular. So if, if you had a program that you loaded that only took, you know, 3K, you'd still have an 8K block reserved for it. So this project's been making some progress using the 4K block size. Sounds like he's got some software running with that mode. Pretty cool progress on uh, doing something like that. Yeah, yeah very cool. I wonder if they could ever port that over to Nitrous, if there'd be any interest for that. Yeah, I don't know. It seems like it wouldn't be too difficult for him to do. Maybe one day you'll just be able to boot it up and pick what block size you want. (laughs) (laughs) All right, this next one is from Jerry Stratton of Super Basic fame. This one's Hunt the Wumpus, Conditional Code, and Include Files in Super Basic. If you've been following Jerry at all, uh, go to his, uh, follow the link, go to his website. He's created Super Basic, which is kind of a Perl-like language that... uh, you can use instead, and it will convert it to Color Basic for you. This is another example he's put out with a well-known game, Hunt the Wumpus, who give you examples of include files. Uh, it's an interesting, inter- interesting language. I, I bought his uh, little book on Super Basic and uh, played around with it a little bit. It's cool to see that he's still developing, uh, you know, tutorials and, and more examples for it. Yeah, that's pretty cool. If you're going to put out uh, a new language or a variation on a language. Good to see that you're actually still playing with it. <laughs> that yeah. adoption. Yeah, a lot of people bail after they develop it. That's They've met their goal. That's cool, Jerry. Our next news article is from friend of the show, Jim Gary. Time Bomb. The Time Bomb graphics redux? Not, not too sure about this one. Uh, it doesn't look like a normal game. That is, It looks like a more of a graphics platform he's working on here, converting over. And it's kind of both because he's got, it's interesting because the graphics kind of draws out the paths that you take hunting for I, this bomb. I saw that, to get yeah. out. Yeah, so, you you know, it graphically shows you going down the tunnel that you chose and then, you know, you find out if you get blown up or not. Oh, okay, okay. Pretty, yeah, pretty neat. Another game from uh, Jim Gary. Cool. Next news article is from uh, Richard Kelly. Richard Kelly, he appears on uh, Facebook group quite often, I notice, uh, which is nice to see. The new version of Artillery, it's version 2.01. It uh, fixes a Cocoa 3 bug? Yeah, uh, it's like you say, Richard uh, pops up from time to time and uh, usually drops a little software <laughs> when he does. 
This one updated with some fixes. It's pretty cool. The next news article is from TJB Chris. It's a YouTube video. Uh, Coco 3 Lodum Magic. Kind of taking advantage of uh, kind of a feature of the Lodum file format. Things like Auto Start Games or whatever. Right. Do some of what they do. Or how does it, while you're loading, how does it put up the title screen, that sort of stuff. You can load data into different locations and uh, there's a lot of little tricks you can play like that. You know, some of them can overwrite like in the command line buffers and whatever to auto start things. And there's a lot of little cool little tricks you can play to, to do the thing. He has several examples in there. That's nice. a great video. Pretty cool. Yeah, I, I could see how that would come in hand for quite a few uh, different projects as well. That and it just kind of demystifies how you do that. Yeah, very cool. All right, uh, this next news article is actually one of my favorites in this bunch here. It's uh, from Nathaniel. He tried his hand at making a cassette case insert. For some games, he transferred to tape. The one example he's got here is of the uh, famous game Cashman. Well, actually, he's got two games on this tape, on one on each side, Cashman and uh, Gold Runner. And it just looks so awesome uh, to see this, uh, where it's a printed yeah. uh, cassette tape insert. Fancy. Yeah, it's, it's just cool to see the, the craftsmanship or whatever. And um, I don't know, how do you think people would do if they were releasing new games on tape? Do you think people would buy them? Not sure. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Some people that would. Seems to be, the Dragon people certainly would, I think. Well, yeah. yeah. I think so. Yeah. So it'd be cool it's, to see if anybody wanted to get into that. Yeah, it's kind of unique, you know. Um, is there a source for blank audio tapes still? I looked for them not too long ago. It wasn't too hard to find. Yeah, it's still possible. Well, that's good. I think you'd even get like C10 and C20 if you want the smaller ones. They're yeah. expensive, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure. But, they're but I mean, there. not ridiculous, you know. But right. Okay, our next news item. Uh, so this is from uh, Nature. I guess Nature's magazine, <laughs> the website at least. They have a technology feature. The challenge to scientists, does your 10-year-old code still run? So this is an interesting question. You know, when you have, like, scientific research or whatever, people do their research and publish their papers, you know, then they're you know, available to uh, for future researchers or whatever, but you never know when those researchers are going to come along. It's probably an interesting challenge to try to replicate old uh, scientific research that is based around software that, was written sometime in the past, and then see if you can get that to work. And I think probably sometimes you're going to have more trouble than others, but particularly if it's software that uses uh, GUI libraries or whatever that may long may no longer be supported or or in favor or whatever. It's interesting to think there's people doing this exercise, you know, just to make sure that they can still get their old code to run. This is almost worth its own discussion, <laughs> but. Um, yeah. um, Probably, without digging a lot into the content itself in the article, my own opinion would be probably if you're concerned about this sort of thing, probably your best strategy is to write your new software as if you're going to run it on a 10-year-old environment in the first place. (laughs) And then maybe in another 10 years, it'll still be able to run because you're already using kind of classic, for lack of a better term, proven technology. Uh, without getting too fancy on, you know, whatever the, the latest computer science fetish or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, stick to kind of bedrock languages uh, rather than, you know, whatever's 
fresh off the um, the, the GitHub press or whatever. Anyway, he says it's kind of a cool thought process and keeping code running, and uh, it's probably easier to keep it running for 10 years than it is to put it down for 10 years and come back to it and make it run. Um, yeah, but, yeah. I mean, even dumb little things like, like the whole Python 2 versus Python 3 debacle, in my opinion, but <laughs> um, yeah, um, those things hit and uh, can be unpredictable. Give it a look and uh, check it out, see what the, uh, what the thought process is there. So moving on, posting from Brian Schubring says, uh, what time is it? It's Cocoa Midi time. And so he's got a, a video he's done. Talks a lot about you know how to use Midi. Uh, says the first episode introduces the subject of Midi with the Cocoa 2. Midi is a topic that seems to recur and people seem to have at least some interest in. It's playing music on their Cocos or whatever. It's an interesting retro topic. And if it's interesting to you, Brian certainly has put a lot of time into using MIDI on his Cocoa, and uh, it's probably a good place to start for um, demonstrating what's available and what's possible. Well, thank you, Brian, for posting that. See, moving on. So this is from, um, I don't know, H-L-O-B-E-R-G, so Hloberg <laughs> at Atari Age. I don't know the real name of the person involved here, but it's a, a card game, Millborn in basic. Uploaded to Color Computer Archives, a non-graphic card game you play against a computer. Uses a 52 by 24 column utility, so it might be a little hard to view on unmodified Cocoa. Translation from its original Atari 8-bit version to the TI-99 and out to the Cocoa 2. There's a disk image. I have not downloaded it and tried it, so your mileage may vary. <laughs> but it looks interesting. It's a newcomer to the community as far as I know. Uh, so check it out, see what he's made available, and see if uh, or she has made available, and uh, see if you like it, and uh, give them some feedback. The next one is another Chibi Akamas video, again part of his SCC uh, 9 assembly series. This is a bitmap drawing on the Dragon slash Dandy Coco 6809 SMP4. So. Text is too boring. We need graphics. If you want graphics that are low res and in weird colors, you're in luck. The Dragon has a wide range of low resolutions and two color suits, both of which are a bit weird. Let's learn about them. <laughs> <laughs> so hard to argue with some of that. But uh, anyway, it's a good demonstration of how to do some things, setting up the graphics on the Dragon or the Coco, pretty much the same, how to draw on the screen, that sort of stuff. So very cool. Thank you, GB Agamus. <laughs> This is a news article from myself, Neil Blanchard, in case you uh, forgot my name. <laughs> uh, I posted a, uh, an article, uh, well, a, I guess an ad, on uh, Facebook, uh, the Coco Group, uh, introducing the Gamester. Uh, it's a joystick that I'm uh, producing uh, with a buddy of mine, actually. He does the woodworking aspect of it, because uh, I certainly can't do woodworking to, to probably save my life. But I can do all the electric components inside, so that's kind of where I come in hand. But uh, anyways, it's a arcade joystick for your Tandy Color Computer 3, or, or actually all the color computers, and uh, Tandy 1000. It'll also work on a Dragon. I can supply a adapter. It'll fit there, the 5-pin conversion. And uh, it can be ordered custom. So the standard one comes pine wood. But, I mean, you can order custom like uh, Mike Rowan did. He's got a nice uh, birch one on the way. You will have the most exciting one as of now. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. 
all the uh, you know all the components on it are uh, high quality. Everything's replaceable. I mean, basically, it's uh, built to last a lifetime. So Neil, if I uh, if I want to order a custom one and ship you the wood, can your buddy like take the wood and make something out of it? Yeah, you can do that. Or I mean, we can uh, source the wood here. We got access. There's a couple of good wood shops in town, so I had mine made from birch. Yeah, that's and that looks really it looks nice. Cool. So it's, it's almost done. Awesome. Can't wait to see that. All right. Our next news article is from uh, Rick Adams. He's got a new game out, Omnistar, for the Color Computer 3 and requires RGB monitor. He had this at Coco Fest, either the last one or the one before. Uh, he did. I yeah. Played it a little bit. It's kind of interesting chasing big network web. Yeah. Yeah. It's. Looks pretty good. I, apparently, uh, someone finished it at Coco Fest. So I think he's added more more to it because it was a little too easy in that version. <laughs> but now, now the final one is done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If I recall, it's uh, the 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 map or whatever is a dodecahedron. Um, right, so, right. <laughs> kind of like a hunt the wampus, I guess. Yep. It's a disc-based game too, so I don't know. Uh, might have plans in the future to put it on a ROM cartridge. I'm not sure. I don't want to say anything. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Looks pretty neat. Next news article is from Alex Proudfoot. Uh, Understanding Interactive Fiction. This is a cool uh, blog site deconstructing the source code of classic text adventure games. Taking uh, taking some of the sources or whatever and... Um... You know, looking at how, how the games are built, kind of like he was using Inform 7 as an example for some of his implementations. I don't know, I thought it might be interesting to some folks who might want to explore the um, the world of creating a Zork-style game. Right. All right, our next uh, news article is from friend of the show, Jim Gary. Bally Lander, it's a new game he's ported over. It's a uh, port of Lunar Lander. Uh, it's a basic game from the Valley Astrocade system to the TRS-80 MC-10. It looks pretty cool. The graphics are really nice on it. Uh, yeah, that's uh, an interesting source of uh, material there. <laughs> With yeah. the Valley basic or whatever. Pretty cool. Yeah, he's He's got to be a pro now at doing these conversions. Because, like, I mean, he's doing all different uh, platforms. Yeah, no doubt. He used to have those books on how to translate between the different basics. He could probably write one. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. If you use your color computer for spreadsheets, accounting, and other numeric intensive applications, then you need the Number Jack from HJL Products. The Number Jack is a numeric keypad that connects to your color computer in just five minutes. No soldering, no drilling, and no special tools required. In addition to the 10 number keys, the Number Jack features four cursor keys, clear, decimal point, and four standard math keys. The number jack has a low-profile ABS enclosure with the same full-travel key switches used in the HJL57 keyboard. The number jack is built so well it carries a full one-year warranty. Cut the tedium out of numeric data work with the number jack from HJL Products, a division of Touchstone Technologies. New from DICOM, it's Paper Route. Deliver newspapers to your customers, but break their windows or damage their property and lose subscribers. I'm sorry but earn points for breaking windows and damaging the property of non-subscribers. <laughs> Avoid pedestrians, cars, and maybe even a mad dog. <laughs> Paper route requires 64K and a joystick. From DICOM. All right.
right, the next news item is Hypertech Gaming is proud to announce the release of Digger 3 with a Tandy Color Computer 3 by Chet Simpson. This is a Facebook post that Chet made announcing the release of his new game. It's a successor to his earlier achievements. Very good graphics gameplay from what I can see on the video that he posted. I have not played it yet, but I would imagine anything coming from Chet I know is just top-notch. So um, really cool, really looking forward to it. Looks fantastic. It does. Great work there, Chet, as always. It Great is. game. It's beautiful. Piece of eye candy for sure. <laughs> it looks great. Yeah. Seems to perform well. Yeah. Very cool. A lot of attention to detail. Looks like Amiga 500 graphics, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Good work. The next news item is unboxing 1984 Tano Dragon computer by LGR Blurbs at YouTube. So this is a video. I've actually done this before. Back when you could buy Tano Dragons for $35 a piece. He is opening up and going through a brand new, or new old stock, I should say, Tano Dragon, which incidentally was made in New Orleans, Louisiana, back in around, I think, 1983. That's whenever they were being made. So, very good video. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, you don't get a lot of unboxing new old stock stuff these days, especially for, for well, Dragons or Kogos, or Tano's kind of in between, but... <laughs> Yeah, pretty cool to see. The next news item, Pipes Promo Video 1 by Nick Marentis. This is a new game that Nick wrote, and it looks to be, just based on the video here, it's a YouTube video. I'm assuming this is Coco 1, 2, and 3. It doesn't look like it's taking advantage of any of the Coco 3 graphics. It's quite colorful, but it looks uh, looks pretty spiffy. Yeah, is, this, uh, is this off of an, of an existing type of game that I just don't know about, John? Uh, I think there's some similar games uh, out there, but uh, I'm not sure if this is specifically like a clone of any given thing. One of the most recent episodes of the Intellivisionaries uh, <laughs> talked about a couple of games that sounded kind of similar in terms of uh, something following a path that you laid down, whatever. I mean, it's cool. It's like a puzzle game, and it's pretty cool. Colorful, and, and it seems very smooth. I'm, I'm assuming it's written in a similar language, of course, but it uh, seems pretty fast. All right, the next news item is I have some Coco 2 composite video boards back in stock by Ed Snyder. So this is a Facebook post with some Coco 2 composite video boards, a good product to have, mm-hmm, uh, yeah. especially to get away from the old RF modulator. It looks like they're, just based on what I can see there, for the different models of Color Computer 2 motherboard. Yeah. Um, very nice. So I see he does it for both the flat RF, vertical RF, and the T1 machine. So it looks like he covers the whole gamut of Coco 2 motherboards. Cool. Yep. It was kind of a return to his roots uh, sort of thing for Ed. It was one of his earlier products in the community, I think. And uh, it's pretty cool stuff, and it's good. And I wish more people would take him up on it and uh, <laughs> at least start with a composite video mods before they uh, you know, do a lot more. I don't know, the composite videos, in some ways, is kind of closer to, um, you know, the intended uh, <laughs> video we had anyway. Get rid of the TV signal. I actually have one of the early ones that he did. Uh, I installed it on a Coco 2. Works well. Yeah, I've got, so. got a couple of those as well. It's a yep. copy of the original Tandy one, so it worked yeah. well. Yeah. It's a kind of product that I think, like you said, it's sort of like 
the first go-to change I would make in a Coco 2 if I was going to seriously sit down and use it is like, you know, we'll put some composite video on this thing. Get a little clearer video, but yeah, very cool. Yeah. Our next one here is from Richard Kelly. It's Ladderman 2, also known as Super Ladderman. So uh, <laughs> this is a, another game from Richard Kelly. Looks pretty cool. Pictures look pretty good. <laughs> yeah. And, um, yeah, I don't know. It's, um, I don't get down for a lot of gameplay on the Coco these days uh, or anything, really. But, it's, like I said, it looks pretty cool. It looks, there's several screenshots in, in the post, so uh, a lot of different screens of action or whatever. Looks like it could be fun. It's a good thing to take some time to spend to uh, load up on your Coco. Using the, um, cool. the NTSC uh, artifacting uh, color set. Yeah. Looks you know what like the graphics remind me of on this one is uh, Tut's Tomb a little bit. Do you, do you guys see that? Yeah, it does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's neat. Yeah, thanks, Richard. All right, uh, this next one is from Canadian Retro Thins at YouTube. Giving my TRS-80 MC-10 a CD drive, sort of. That's a, that's a cool little video, but he's basically wanting to see if he can take a cassette file, burn it onto a CD, and then load it from a, a CD player. And that's exactly what he does in this video. He's got, uh, he has it, the files, the cassette files burn onto a CD, and then he hooks up an old boom box to uh, his MC-10 and enters yeah. the command to load and pushes the track he wants and loads up right away. Yeah, and I think it's a cool idea. I wish more people kind of promoted this idea. <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, if you had a CD drive with your t- stuff, your tape files, you know, the audio from your tapes on a CD, you know, the you've eliminated a whole lot of uh, fast forward and reverse uh, or rewind um, just by being able to select the track you want. Should be kiss free and whatever else from the, your from your CD. Uh, the first time I saw people selling Coco software on CD, this is what I thought they were doing. I personally was disappointed to find that they were using them as, you know, <laughs> you know, data CDs or whatever, which, of course, the Coco has no way of directly interacting with. But alas, that's uh, <laughs> not to be had at the time. But I think this is a cool way. This is some way I'd like to see um, somebody distribute software on burn CDs with, as audio. I think that would be cool, or at least as one track of audio. You do a, a CD with both a track of audio and a data track with the CAS file or whatever. I think that'd be cool. All right, our next one is from Charlie Pelosi. King's Quest 2, Tandy Color Computer 3, 512K, DriveWire 4 with HDB DOS ROM pack. This is, a, this is a cool little video because he's he's just showing you how you can use DriveWire. Uh, he's got HDB DOS on a ROM pack, so... Basically, he just uh, powers up his computer and he can start loading programs from a PC, actually running King's Quest 2, which, of course, has a lot of uh, disk I.O., and it plays just fine with, uh, with DriveWire 4. He's actually running DriveWire 4 under Windows. Um, of course, we know there's uh, PyWire, and uh, that's probably a more supported version, but uh, DriveWire is just a, uh, a fantastic product. There's just <laughs> there's no way around it. <laughs> Yeah, this is my little tribute to Boise by including this uh, <laughs> this link <laughs> in the news. But like you say, I mean, yeah, it's cool to to remind people that the DriveWire is out there and it works pretty well. You know, we don't all have to go out and have an SDC or a Coco SDC for every machine we own. We can 
you know, you can keep an, a DriveWire server um, up or have it available on your laptop for, for when you need it and uh, drive your machines from there and uh, you have a broad range of software available. Works really well. Yeah, the price of entry is really low, so. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, thanks Charlie. <laughs> Our last news item is from Displaced Gamers at YouTube. Gamers don't care about sound preservation. <laughs> what? And, uh, this is this is really he poses a statement, but it's really a question. Going in talking about gaming systems starting to fail. Not that there's a, a pandemic of it, but you know eventually we're going to see more and more of these machines are going, and they're wondering, you know, has anyone really taken the time to record the sounds or to preserve the data for music in these games? It's an opinion piece, but it's kind of an interesting video. Yeah, I thought it was an interesting take. Yeah, I don't know. Emulators are where you produce a lot of sounds, about well, well enough for my memory at least. Uh, for computers, this may be more of an issue for like arcade game preservation. Certainly there were some arcade games that had analog soundboards that, <laughs> that could do some really weird noises. The, the game I'm thinking of is a vector game called Star Castle. When you finally break through those rotating shield rings, and that central cannon would zap you and make this. <laughs> it just would make me shiver every time. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'm not sure I could get the same effect from uh, playing it on an emulator. I'm not sure it's as big a deal for computers, but I mean, uh, you know, I'm also, if you're one of those SID guys, you know, the Commodore sound chips, the SID is their god or whatever. They'll at least tell you there's no comparison, and you know there's you know the the pokey on the eight um, bit Atari systems it certainly has a bit of a distinct sound, and that's actually the pokey was also on a lot of Atari arcade games, and so I'm not sure what the opinions are on say like you said Sid or pokey. When you're talking about the DAC on a Coco, uh, I'm not sure it's quite as unique, but I don't know. It's worth thinking about. It's kind of in step with the uh, running ten year old code. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. The same kind of same kind of issues can crop up, so yeah, worth a watch. Cool. All right. Well, I guess that's the end of our news segment. Then we'll take another short break, and then we'll be back with some feedback. Oh, I'm dead. But check out that high score. How did you do that? With the gamester. It's a real arcade joystick with arcade buttons. Can I try? Sure. Wow, this has really got some weight to it. Yeah, it's made of real wood. Is this walnut? Yep. You can choose any wood or finish when you order yours. It looks great, and this joystick is amazing. It's smooth, and the buttons are great. You can choose a custom cable link, or even get a left-handed version. I'm sold. Where do I get mine? Introducing the Gamester. The Gamester is the ultimate two-button joystick controller for your color computer, Dragon, and Tandy 1000. The Gamester features a genuine arcade-quality joystick with two large arcade-quality cherry switch buttons on a single surface. Every Gamester is built to order. Choose the wood for your cabinet. Choose custom paint or stain and finishes. The Gamester is designed to last a lifetime. To build yours, simply reach out to Neil Blanchard by email. Neil at CocoCrew.org. That's N-E-I-L at C-O-C-O-C-R-E-W dot org. Experience genuine arcade controller action for all of your favorite color computer, Dragon, and Tandy 1000 computer games. For true arcade action, it's the Gamester. Dragon owners, put a spring into your Dragon with the addition of Voltmus Delta 3D joysticks. Each joystick is individually tested before it leaves our factory. We want every joystick to be strong, tough, and reliable. 
With sprung return, the Voltmus Delta 3D joystick provides unmatched accuracy and precise control. And with the choice of red or green buttons, you can instantly recognize which is left and right. Our joysticks feature steel shafts and graphite wiper potentiometers. And every joystick is made right here, in England. Step up to quality. Step up to reliability. The Voltmus Delta 3D. For discriminating Dragon users. All right. Now it's time for some feedback. Not a whole lot of feedback this time this month, but um, it felt a little stern <laughs> when I first read it coming from James Jones. Uh, in response to our um, host discussion segment last time, you know, the, the question was, uh, do core upgrades distort the hobby or something to that effect, at least? Then James, uh, you know, he has a little bit of a different perspective than some folks, and so James in particular is less interested in um, kind of the nostalgia factor, I think, um, or at least what I would normally consider the nostalgia factor of uh, the retro computing. And he's more of a interested in the, in the uh, 6809 as a technology. Uh, I think that's reasonably fair. Uh, if not, of course, James, I know you're not shy. You can <laughs> send, send us a correction. Um, but anyway, I've got a little quote from uh, what he said. Let's see. It says, I have minimal interest in non-OS9 software for the Coco, and I can't say that preserving the design shortcuts Tandy took to burden the CPU in every possible way strikes me as a laudable goal. I want to see the 6809 or 6309 with as much of the burden of I.O. and graphics removed from it as possible. So there you go. It's an illustration that not everybody is after the same thing. <laughs> Right, and that's perfectly fine, and uh, it's a um, it's a different perspective than what I have, but uh, but that's great. It's it's good that we have people with different perspectives. Like you said, James is looking to, uh, to see he wants he wants a better computer than uh, than what Tandy gave us, and that's reasonable for me personally. Uh, I would have loved to have seen that in ninety one, <laughs> ninety two maybe. Um, Today, you know, whatever we tack on to a Coco 3 is, from a technological perspective, is going to be far inferior to to a BeagleBone Black or a, a Raspberry Pi or anything with the name ThinkPad attached to it, at least anything less than, say, eight years old with the word ThinkPad on it. Um, so... You know, I guess at some point to, to we diverge from there, but it's a reasonable perspective. And you know, like you say, there's at some point we're talking about retro computing. It's not a practical. <laughs> it's not practical anyway. So whatever you like about it, that's that's your thing. That's your, that's your kink, baby. <laughs> hobby, yeah, it's your hobby, sure. And so, um, you know, that's great. And if you are curious to see more about what James wrote, uh, there's a link in the show notes to his original post. Thank you for the kind of, for the uh, feedback, James. It's good to hear from you. Maybe we can come up with something else uh, controversial to say that uh, <laughs> can generate some more feedback uh, either now or in the future. All right. Let's see. From uh, going on to what our listener question of the month from um, from last month was: um, Are you a veteran, alumni, tourist, or newbie? And I had uh, definitions for that. Basically, a veteran was somebody who's been in the hobby forever, at least since, say, the mid-'90s. Um, an alumni would 
would be somebody who was active in with the cocoa back in the day and back up to the early 90s or whatever and you know has since you know did not follow on but has come but now returned maybe as a retro computing person tourist with somebody who's a retro computing hobbyist but maybe with another you know say the vic 20 or or you know, the TI-99 is their preferred system, but they've kind of picked up a cocoa, and now they come around just to see what's going on. And, of course, a newbie would be somebody who just was out and about and saw a cocoa on the shelf at the Goodwill and picked one up and want to see what all that's about. So, anyway, we got the response here. Um, this is from Robert Allen Murphy. And, of course, his answer is newbie with an exclamation point. And it says, and I hope to always be because I don't want to run out of new stuff to learn for and about the cocoa. Well, so there, that's a more philosophical uh, response than maybe I was expecting or looking for, but that's a fine perspective to have. And uh, it's a good attitude. And it's like, well, we're here to learn and see what's uh, available. And um, I know I'm always more happy to, to poke onto the um Yoko Facebook group and see somebody doing a new project or doing something that maybe I had thought of or maybe I hadn't, but uh, they're doing something, you know, where they're learning and maybe they're teaching me something. It's uh, always a lot more fun. So very cool, Robert. Thanks for the feedback. All right. So now for our listener uh, question of this month, which Cocoa emulator do you prefer? So you a, a VCC person, or you prefer MAME? Maybe you like XROAR? Let us know. Others are there are a few others. There's a Mocha, and uh, uh, of course there's the Vavasaur emulators and the David Kill emulators from the DOS days. Bound to be people still using those for whatever reason. So let us know which one do you prefer? Okay, that's our listener question of the month. That covered our feedback for this month, so. Now we're going to take another little break, and then we'll be back with uh, more of the show. Why is Molly smiling? Why is Bob smiling? Why are so many people smiling? It's simple. They switched to Telewriter 128. It's the number one word processor for your Color Computer 3. It's easy to use. Lightning fast paging and scrolling. Built-in help function. 26 user-definable macro keys. And, of course, all of the features of Telewriter 64. If you're serious about writing, get a serious word processor. Telewriter 128, the Color Computer 3 word processor from Cognitech. When Tandy introduced the incredible Color Computer 3, it had a very low price. But for some of you, the price wasn't low enough. So you held out. And you held out. Well, your patience has just paid off. Because now we're dropping the price of the Color Computer 3 so low that you won't be able to resist. After all, everyone has their price. The 128K Color Computer 3, only available at Radio Shack. Okay, welcome back, Coco Cruisers. Uh, we're here with all our hosts, and uh, we're going to have our you know, regular discussion, our regular time to discuss a topic. Hopefully we can shed uh, some light, maybe a little heat. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> So our discussion topic for this month is what, quote, final preparations, and I mean that in the sense of, you know, what are you going to put in your will or what are you asking your loved ones to do in the event of your passing? What final preparations have you made for your collection? And, of course, particularly your Cocoa collection, 
but whatever else you've got that's sort of in the same category, either other retro computers or electronics or, I don't know, maybe whatever you got. You know, if you've got um, you know, porcelain vases from the Ming Dynasty, uh, <laughs> that's probably <laughs> different, but maybe you've got old race cars or, or remote control airplanes or that sort of thing, or maybe we'll, maybe we'll just keep it mostly to just your Kogo. What are you going to do with your Kogo stuff? What have you asked your family to do or what preparations have you made for when you inevitably shed the cellular bonds of earth and move on, what is going to happen to your collection? So amongst our hosts here, does anybody actually have a plan? I know Boise probably has had some discussions. I don't know about anyone else. Well, my plan is I uh, told my wife uh, to contact you guys. <laughs> cool. <laughs> it, uh, you know, it's got to go in good hands, right? Well, well, I agree. It'd be, uh, I definitely think it'd be good. I think most of us would prefer whatever we've bothered to collect to find its way to the hands of someone else with the same sickness. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. <That's just> yeah. <laughs> and or, I mean, the alternative might be if you, if you can somehow get your children to take enough interest in it uh, or some other loved one or, you know, friend or family that the you know you'd want them to, to have first dibs if they actually cared because of the the personal contact or whatever. But if you're like me, my kids are probably just mad that I've left them a mess to clean up, and so <laughs> <laughs> they'll be they'll be happy to call someone else to come and take it all away. Um, but uh, I'll, I'll probably try to direct that, but I don't actually have a firm plan in place at the moment. Well, failing that, you can always attach New York Times asset tags and sell it on eBay. For, for <laughs> well, then they'll never sell. The kids will be stuck with them forever. <laughs> That's <laughs> <true>. <laughs> Trying to make their millions. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's kind of a running joke that I should, um, I guess I should have, as I was collecting this stuff, printed out the uh, the eBay sales um, uh, documents or whatever and uh, – and taped it to the box or something for everything in the collection. But I can, you know, what I call that is incriminating evidence. So (laughs) (laughs) I have not done a lot of that. I have tried at least to emphasize to them that whatever you do, you know, don't call the hoarders people to come and just haul it all away. That you should at least try to go through it and whatever you can figure out what it is, at least put it on eBay with the name. And I told them to start it all at the one cent, let it bid up to whatever price it goes for, because that seems the most fair to me. Yeah, I don't know. I suspect if I were to get hit by a bus tomorrow that um, that uh, you guys might get a phone calls from the family. Um, but uh, probably Neil because, you know, well, it would have been Neil because we'd, we'd think he'd, he'd drive down here the next day. Um, <laughs> but, but uh now that he's uh, border locked, I'm not sure that that would work either. Yeah. Well, I'm um, only a couple hours from you now. So. <laughs> that's <laughs> true. I should put your name on it. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. Don't think ill of me if you have to dig through my pile. Just try to take the way piece by piece and don't hurt your back. Um, <laughs> so I know, Boise, you and Mark Marlette had a compact at some point uh, to <laughs> take care of each other's stuff. Is that still solid? Yeah, we have a reciprocal agreement that we would, if one of one of us, uh, as you indicated, uh, slipped the shovel bonds of earth, the other one would uh, somehow make arrangements to get the other's cache of stuff. It's kind of where we're at now with it. 
one of us would have to drive to the other's place, which is probably 1,800 miles away or something. I'm not exactly sure, but we could make it work. I also thought about uh, setting up a, a charitable trust and, you know, just keeping them in the home and having them nicely uh, cared for like uh, some people do with their dogs, you know, when they pass. <laughs> <laughs> you know, good. hire someone to go and put plastic, uh, you know, plastic spray on them and wipe them down and stuff That'd like that. Cool. <laughs> the, other thing, uh, would be, the other thing would be to uh, go and bury them at the local landfill so eight foot deep in concrete over them so that 30 years later somebody could go find them. That's kind of a thing. And also, I'm finding that, and this kind of maybe is uh, changing the discussion slightly, but I'm finding that less is more in that a lot of the stuff I had, I just really didn't need to collect. So I'm more like collecting the actual computers themselves and so much of the accessories and peripherals and software, I'm just kind of letting go. At this point, and keeping more of the uh, the actual unique computers that are in my collection. Yeah, I mean, I think that happens to a lot of folks. They, their perspectives change. I know I've collected different things at different times. Um, in fact, well, maybe as recently as ten years ago, I basically would not pick up games. <laughs> I just yeah. I was only interested in well, non-game stuff. You know, hardware, software to drive the hardware. The OS9 boot disk and stuff like that. Whereas then I went through a time where it's like, oh my God, then I should have all the cartridges, you know? And so I was buying cartridges all the time or whatever. I don't know now, I'm mostly going to buy cartridges that, that uh, Neil makes, but um, <laughs> things change over time. But yeah, I can see the downsizing or the, I'm not going to use this anymore or. For example, over time, I had I had acquired a fair amount of Amiga stuff, but I was not really an Amiga person. And so a few years, years ago when Neil visited, I, I uh, sent him away with enough uh, Amiga stuff that uh, his car, I think, was dragging the ground a little bit. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was a long <laughs> um, So barring that, uh, you know, I, I mean, I still have a... Uh, I have plenty of stuff laying around, so it's not likely that it'll all disappear like that. But... Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, uh... Well, this this begs the question: Which of us has the most stuff? I I I know that I don't. I think it's between a tie between John, you and Neil, right? I mean, Mike, I, you may have a lot of stuff too. I don't know, but yeah, I don't well, know. I'm kind of like you. It's like I, I have to say: Do I really need twelve of these? Yeah. <laughs> so you got to let some of it go. I mean, because there's yeah. stuff that I do have twelve of. So. <laughs> well, considering that Mike has moved house uh, a couple of times uh, or at least once not too not too far in the past just that very act probably means he's thrown out some stuff that uh, has enough to at least re- reduce him to a more manageable level than what I've got <laughs> I, don't, I donated a like a truckload of stuff to the assembly auction last time so yeah <laughs> that's how I yeah. got rid of a lot of it yeah that was good yeah. timing I mean yeah. Neil you're always like finding caches of stuff up there at Canada right yeah, Rest yeah, the big loss. You must have like a lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah, I got to, I got to start going through some of this stuff. You're the new Glenn Vanderbiler there, Neil. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I also, also got to think the for Coco CRT models, you know. That's right. Those, those CRTs take up space. Oh yeah, do they ever? <laughs> but I still have a storage actually, unit though, so I got still a lot of the collection in storage. Well, that's and, good. And actually, I went through recently, as you guys know, and 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 sent some stuff to John. Uh, to you and to Neil, but Neil, you haven't gotten it yet because of the whole border thing, right? 
That's right. Yeah. So, yeah. Wait for me. <laughs> you've got even more stuff coming to you than you've got now. So. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, so I think what it comes down to is we've all got a problem. <laughs> and, and nobody's yeah, so, getting younger. <laughs> but, right, um, you know, if, Lord forbid, Boise should pass, uh, we'll probably all get the call from Mark saying, how in the hell am I going to get all Boise stuff? <laughs> 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 so we'll all have to, to meet up in uh, Louisiana. We'll be sure to bring some uh, some good bourbon or something to pour over Boise's grave uh, as we yeah, take away yeah, all this yeah, stuff. Yeah. At least come to my funeral too, if you can, uh, you can spare the time, right? No, but uh, it's an it's an interesting thing because what you don't want to what you want to try to avoid is leaving a big mess, like you said, John, to your family to deal with. And I think your family, you know, probably knows our families know how we value this stuff already. So yes. there is some respect for it. But we should. It's a good idea to have plans, uh, contingency plans for handling this stuff because there's still some value in it. It'd be nice to let the stuff live on and get some value back for the, for the time that you, and the effort you spent collecting it. Yeah. Well, like you say, if nothing else, I should at least take some time and separate the part, the things that are approaching historical artifact status (laughs) uh, and put those on one side of the room and the stuff that's, this is some dumb toy that dad thought he might hack into something and put that on the other side of the room. <laughs> right. Right, because I'm sure in all of our collections, right, we have something that is, like, unique or rare. I know I do, and I'm sure you, you guys have, as well. And that, that should be called out as well as, you know, special attention. Yep. And then the stuff that, um, you know, don't don't open this unless you know what you're doing. <laughs> um, put a marker on that of some sort. Yeah, I don't know. I guess that's the biggest thing is it's just, well, now I've just given myself another assignment. Uh, so put that on the list, I guess. <laughs> well, I'm not sure we have any huge ideas or insightful things, mostly just grousing, I guess, at this point. But any uh, anyone else have anything else, anything to add? Just add a link to LegalZoom.com. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, yeah, I would. it would be uh, kind of interesting one day to go through a succession, you know, at the courthouse and see all the cocoa stuff that would be just listed line by line. <laughs> it could happen. Oh, goodness. I guess we'll just have to leave this a little bit unresolved, but uh, that'll be all for this month. If uh, you have any feedback or suggestions or words of encouragement, uh, of course, do feel free to send us something, the feedback at org. We'd love to hear from you. What are you guys going to do with your cocoa stuff, huh? You can't take it with you. Well, you, you could have it tucked in the coffin, I guess. But other than that, you're not going to be able to use it anyway. So. <laughs> All right. Well, that's probably enough for this. So um, we'll uh, take a break now, and uh, we'll be back with uh, whatever's left of the show. Excuse me. Can I help you? Mm, I'm not sure. I'm looking for the perfect color computer monitor. It should be a 12-inch computer monitor that has TTL RGB, RGB analog, and composite video inputs. It needs a display resolution of 640 by 240 and support 80 by 25 text on the screen. It should have a monochrome mode, a comb filter for composite video, and a built-in audio amplifier. Oh, and a two-year parts and labor warranty. You know what I mean? I know exactly what you mean. You want a Magnavox. The Magnavox Professional RGB Monitor 80. The perfect color computer monitor. This month in Cocoa History. Welcome to This Month in Cocoa History. 
where we explore events in the life of our favorite home computer. This is Joan, reading for Boise Pete. Page 67 of the September 1982 issue of Rainbow Magazine displayed a full-page ad for MedSystem Software of Chapel Hill, North Carolina. It touted two full-color games written in machine language, Invader's Revenge and Phantom Slayer. In Invader's Revenge, you're the last space invader, and humans are the enemy. It's your job to destroy the human ships that prowl the space lanes. Avoid the photon blasts from their laser bases and aim for the flagship. The game featured multiple difficulty levels and two-player game selection. Phantom Slayer puts you into a maze with first-person perspective. You walk through catacombs while exacting revenge on mutant phantoms with your laser pistol. The game renders the maze in real time and touts multiple levels, plus a training mode. Both games were written by the prolific game author Ken Kalish, who later authored Trapfall, the Pitfall clone for the Coco. The blue and black ad presented some unique hand-drawn art, a four-armed alien and a ghoulish phantom in a drab hanging robe. Both are holding up a wall of text that sits atop a Radio Shack color computer keyboard holding the address of the med system software. It even features a toll-free number. But don't try to call it. It's been disconnected. And that's this month in Coco History. All right, welcome Coco Cruisers. Uh, we've got an interview this month. We've got a community member that we brought on, Mr. Nathaniel or Nate Lockhart. Hi. Um, I'm aware of Nate as he um, posted uh, something on the Facebook group where something we had in our news segment about him making some inserts for Coco program tapes. And I thought they looked pretty cool. So I reached out to him and asked him to come on and tell us a bit about himself. And then he decided to join us. So welcome, Nate. Thanks for having me. And, of course, I'm here. This is John Linville. And uh, we're here with, of course, Neil Blanchard. Hello, Neil. Hello, John. <laughs> uh, Mike Rowan. Hello, Mike. Hello. And, of course, Mr. Boise Pete. Hello, Boise. Yeah, hello, everybody. All right. So, Nate, um, why don't you um, take a moment and tell us a little bit about your yourself, your background, uh, how you got involved with the cocoa, that sort of thing. Oh, sure. So, uh, I did not grow up with the color computer. In fact, I didn't know what one was until I was in my teens um, because, uh, I, I didn't grow up in the eighties. Mm. I, uh, the only way I found out about one was because this is my teens. So this would have been like the early two thousands, I guess, like 2003 or whatever. And, uh, the church that we went to was kind of clearing out its storage and, uh, people knew that I was into like old tech and older video games and things like that. And so they said, Hey, do you want this, this computer? And, you know, I looked at it and I was like, oh, I mean, sure, I guess. I, I don't know what this is. This doesn't look like a Commodore 64. Um, <laughs> but uh, so they uh, so yeah, I they gave it to me and I kind of fiddled with it for a little bit. But then I lost interest pretty quickly because I only had like two cartridges for it. I had um, it, it was only a 16K Coco one. It had a Space Invaders clone, uh, Space Assault, right? Space, space Assault. Yeah. That, that's the one. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Tennis. And so I, I kind of fiddled with that and fiddled with basic a little bit, but then that was kind of it until fast forward like 10 years later, I was going through my own storage and I dug it out and I was like, 
you know, I, I, I didn't really do enough with this. And then I discovered the cassette port on the back and that it was just a normal old five pinned in connector. And I was like, you know, I bet I could find a way to download programs from the internet and turn those into WAV files if they aren't already. And maybe I'll play them in there. And I did for a little bit. Um, I built a cable, you know, I just, I had a local electronic shop in town that I was able to go to and buy the parts and solder it all together. And, uh, it worked, but the, uh, the cocoa one that I had, you know, being only 16 K was pretty limiting on, on, as to what I could put on it. But that's when I started looking up online. I found, um, L Curtis Boyle's website. Oh yeah. On there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I was just like, Oh wow, look at all these cool games I could be trying if I didn't was, if I wasn't limited to 16 K. And so, uh, <laughs> I just sort of put put out the clarion call on Atari Age because I'd been a long-time forum member at Atari Age and just said, hey, uh, anybody have a Coco 2 they want to get rid of, like a 32K, 64K Coco 2, whatever. Um, sure enough, someone was like, yeah, I got one. Uh, 60 bucks, I'll ship it to you. And I was like, okay, cool, great. I got that, and I've been in love with the machine ever since. <laughs> I've, I actually just installed in it just yesterday I installed the um, composite mod from Ed Snyder um, because yeah. the, RF, the RF on my machine was garbage, utter garbage. That's done a lot to improve it. And I also had to fix the artifact colors because they were weird because it has that – I'm sure your your listeners probably know how, like, the Coco 2, like, has this weird workaround to uh, address the, the color artifacting because normally it does it, like, in these in this pink and green – I remember looking at all, like all the photos online, like I don't think it's supposed to look like this. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it took me a long time to figure out how to fix it. It wasn't until there's a YouTuber by the name of Joe, Joe's Computer Museum, mm-hmm. and he did a video where he had the exact same problem. And I was overjoyed because it turned out it was like a broken trace or something. Mm-hmm. So uh, a couple bodge wires. And I installed a switch because for some reason it permanently turned on the the color burst and whatever. Anyway, it works now. I'm happy. Cocos are a lot of fun. If you've ever read Boise's book, uh, you know, the Coco 2, the Coco 1 sort of had the artifact colors. It sounds like by accident. Um, And then, but then the Coco 2, they uh, originally, you know, the original design didn't do them because it's not really supposed to. Right. So, Right. They had to develop a kind of a hack to uh, to turn it on. They, yeah. they sort of have to trick the uh, color generation uh, circuitry to uh, to turn on when it's not really supposed to. Yeah. <laughs> so. uh, you can actually you can actually with the um, composite mod that Ed Snyder has it has a couple pots on it that you can uh, trimmer pots that you can adjust. If you turn it up to like the ideal picture output, it actually outputs the high res mode in black and white like it should. <laughs> Well, sure. Yeah. So it said you have to make the picture just a little bit worse so it bleeds, <laughs> uh, which is just so funny to me. I I love this this wonderful cheap little machine. It is so fascinating to me, um, yeah. especially someone who didn't grow up with it or anything like it really. And I guess that brings to the tapes. If you want to talk about that, sure, sure. Tell us about um, your experiments with tapes and uh, home and, or uh, home improvement crafting uh, or whatever you call it. Yeah, sure. Well, I, uh, being younger, I guess, uh, I mean, younger is always a relative term, but, um, I, I didn't grow up using cassettes with computers at all. I didn't, I, again, I didn't know that that was a thing until, right. until I was a teenager. 
And by then, uh, it, it blew my mind. Like, they're just like, wait, 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 what? Hold on. Cassette <laughs> tapes with computers? You can do that? And uh, the idea of computers storing data with audio was so fascinating to me. And it still is. Like, I, it still, like, boggles my mind that because it's such a it's so creative you know yeah, to, to yeah. do that that's that's such a creative thing to do and and it works so well and the coco does it especially well like i haven't had hardly any problems saving or loading the tape it's been so reliable for me which has not been the case with other computers with their tape mediums um yeah. i just built a um a zx spectrum kit mm -hmm. that i got online and that thing is awful with tapes. And that's supposed to be like its main storage medium. <laughs> and it's wretched. I don't <laughs> I, I don't know how those poor Brits put up with it. But um but with the cocoa it's a dream. So yeah, I love to experiment with sort of analog data storages and and so like I also did it with like a reel to reel uh, tape too to see if I right. could do it. And that was kind of funny because it um I tried to do it at a higher quality. You know, you know how reel-to-reel -reel can do like a few different speeds, right? Sure, you sure. have like the highest quality, which is uh, seven and a half inches per second. Then you have the middle quality, which is three and three quarters uh, inches per second. And then, you know, one and seven eighths, which um, is uh, cassette speed. And I tried it at the higher speeds and it wouldn't work. And <laughs> I was baffled because I was just like, why, why, why doesn't this work? What, what's going on? Is it too like, you know, is is it picking up too much like musicality so it's not like you know just getting the hard storage whatever it wasn't until i switched it all the way down to one and seven eighths inch that it worked perfect i don't know why uh some suggested that doing it at the slower speed allowed it to sort of more to magnetize uh the tape a little bit more properly since it was going by slower yeah. i don't know but uh it was, yeah, it was interesting. I'm not sure I have a theory on that one either. Yeah, um, that that was the best theory that I had read that said that, that someone had uh, suggested that. But, but anyway, um, so yeah, and so I've been making little cassette tapes here. I have an old Radio Shack uh, shoebox recorder. It isn't quite of the vintage of the uh, the Coco. It's um, it's probably like a mid '90s shoebox recorder, but it's close enough. And so I've been recording tapes to it. And I recently got a big batch of 10-minute cassettes, the bulk, which is mm -hmm. like the perfect amount of tape for computer data. Because you don't want to be using like a 90-minute tape and like searching for it for, for files. Like that is, that's a nightmare. Um, right. <laughs> that, that's not as fun. You know, I started making some of those tapes and I thought it'd be kind of fun to get some old boxes for them and make little inserts sort of like how I imagine they could have looked mm -hmm. um, at the time, best as I could. So I have sort of the pixely art on there, but I didn't want to have it be too um, clean because what you'll see in like a lot of media at the time, you know, when they wanted to show you a picture of what the uh, computer, video game console, whatever was doing, they would just take a picture of the television screen and uh right <laughs> right uh because there's no way to like directly feed to that or there's you know some of the more clever ones would have like this little apparatus that was sort of block out surrounding lights so you can get a clear uh, image of it but so i wanted to do that but then my um 
at the time I only had RF on my Coco. Mm-hmm. And uh, like I said before, the, the RF, the picture on that was just awful, completely awful. In fact, I would have to kind of often like jiggle the, the RF modulator in, in the computer to, to get it to show a picture sometimes. Because <laughs> it was just, um, I mean, the, the solder joints were fine on the inside. I checked them, but I, I think it's just probably over time it was falling out of tune, you know, because you have mm-hmm. to, those things have to be tuned just so. So what I did is I just, I just took screenshots on the computer on, on, on like my desktop mm-hmm. and uh, applied uh, some clever filters <laughs> to make it look like a CRT. And uh, I think it looks pretty nice. Yeah, it does. It's clever. I appreciate you saying that. <laughs> I, I tried <laughs> like it right away. Yeah. Yeah. I the very first print I did, uh, printed it to take up the whole page. My wife wasn't very happy with the amount of ink I had wasted, <laughs> so <laughs> um, I apologized and I said, "Well, I probably should just go out and buy another color cartridge." <laughs> um, uh, but uh, so so for then on, I've been uh, uh, eagle-eyeing the ink levels. But yeah, that's been my whole little adventure with uh, designing uh, cassette stuff. What tools did you use to, uh, to develop that? Well, I, I used GIMP. I'm sure you guys probably know it. It's a open source oh, image yeah. editing thing. Uh, I did that, and then there was a suite of filters that you could download. One of them was a CRT sort of emulated a CRT, but but then it would really dim it. It would really dimmed it because it was inserting like all these black lines, you know, to sort of emulate like the 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 shadow mask. That's it. Right, right. Shadow shadow mask. mask. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it really dims it. So you you have to kind of re-brighten it, but like the bright the brightening tool in GIMP isn't very good. So what I had to do is I brightened it and then I had to change like the color curve on it a little bit. And, but then that would make it look too yellow, so the so it didn't look orange and blue. It looked like yellow and blue. Mm. So then I had to like kind of subtract some yellow out of it to to get it to look right. And and um, actually, I also applied like a. They also had like not only the the CRT shadow mask thing, but they also had uh, like the curvature, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And, and a yeah. lot of a lot of filters tend to overdo it in terms of like the curvature, like, you know, it's like an emulators or whatever they, they can kind of over overdo that the curve, like it was never that curved. Um, <laughs> it didn't seem so when you're looking at it, but, but luckily I was able to, they have sliders to adjust it. So I adjusted it. So, <laughs> so like on, on one of the ones I did, it was for um, dungeon quest. And you can see on the bricks, of the lineup, you can see there's like a, just an ever so slight curve. Which when I saw that I was like, yes, it looks like it was. A, it <laughs> looks like it looks like I took a picture of a TV. Um, cool. uh, which uh, now I could probably just do it because the picture doesn't suck on my Coco. So uh, <laughs> maybe I'll maybe I'll try that. But yeah, yeah, yeah I do think some of those filters are a little overzealous. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, they you are. Know, the ones with the with the ad scan lines or whatever. Um, yeah, yeah, and sometimes almost like <laughs> and, and sometimes too, like the, the jail. <laughs> yeah, right. And, and sometimes too, like it'll make the picture still too crisp, like um, like mm-hmm. like it needs to be fuzzier than this. <laughs> like, yeah. it needs to, like it could, composite has a softness to it. Um, sure. Especially RF, you know, there's a softness to it that you that's um 
sometimes doesn't come across in those filters, but I like to think I figured it out. Yeah, um, well, it good to me. <laughs> well, thank you. Yes. Yeah, and that was and that was like uh, like I said, uh, my goal is to make it look like it, it it's of the vintage. My first thought was like, well, most of them like had hand painted or hand drawn right. illustrations. I, I'm not that talented. I, <laughs> I can I can doodle in the margins of notes, but I can't do that. Sure. Um, but then I thought back to like the NES, the Nintendo Entertainment System. You know, they had those black box games where they sort of did that. And then I thought, well, you could just go in that direction instead. And that mm-hmm. requires less artistic talent from me. <laughs> so <laughs> a, little bit, a little bit of that and lots of samples of brushed aluminum because Radio Shack seemed to love their brushed aluminum. And sure. so I put, <laughs> put those on the top, middle, and the bottom, the red, blue, green thing that they did for the TRS-80. I love that they made, they bothered to maintain the, the nomenclature for TRS-80, even though like the actual TRS-80 and the color computers have nothing in common. Like, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Totally a branding operation. Yeah, and, and not only that, but like color computer is a is a very dull thing to call your your system. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very dull name, which is unfortunate because the machine itself is a, is really fun. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's probably why the the name Coco is stuck so well. Oh yeah, that's way more memorable and fun to talk about. Colored computer. Being a kid and talking with other kids, what kind of computer do you have? Well, I have a color computer. I said, yeah, but which one? Like a yeah, right, <laughs> right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. It's like you get past 1982 and you're like, yeah, of course they're all yeah, they can do color, but like, what does that mean? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, and I, I get what you're saying, but I think cassette tapes as a data storage medium is uh, very cool, very fascinating. And I get that it's probably easier for me to say that because I never had to rely on them. <laughs> uh, it was right. never, uh, you know, for, for me, the, the most temperamental uh, data storage medium I ever had to put up with was three and a half inch discs. And wow. for the most part, those were fine. I didn't have problems with that for the most part. It was only towards the end of that medium's life that manufacturers started getting a lot worse and they were less reliable, but. Yeah. That is another topic entirely. <laughs> well, the, the worst uh, story, of course, is probably the most reliable, so long as it wasn't misprinted. But um, the worst, yeah. of course, is the type-in program. Oh yes, <laughs> oh yes. And and I actually did some of those. My dad had saved um, some of his type-in program books from like uh, tab computer books, you know, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. tab. Yeah. And so I remember typing into Q basic, like uh, hunt the wumpus and uh, some football game. <laughs> Can't remember, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Those are fun though. I love leafing through those typing yeah, books. Are. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. They're very cool. So everybody yeah. should do a few at least just to, to have the feeling. Uh, I heard one uh, person describe it that they had a friend that wanted to do a type in exercise, and uh, and uh, he said, "Well, it, it, you don't understand. This is the kind of thing that we really need to have a safe word." For <laughs> 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 when you get tired oh, of typing, I guess. But it yeah. is fun to type something in, and uh, especially in those cases where as you type it in, you kind of grok it enough that you can make a few changes to the program and then make it your own. I had to do that recently. Actually, I was messing around with a couple of entries from uh, 
I guess the Coco had like an adventure type in book. Because yeah. um, I, cause I really wanted to get a, a good dungeon crawler for the Coco, but there aren't many uh, on the on the machine, which is a little sad. But mm-hmm. there was one that I played. I know, they've all been, were very frustrating because they would just kill you in three moves. Um, <laughs> so I was desperate to figure out like what line can I change so that I can live longer and uh, enjoy this experience. Those, those kinds of games were a lot different back then. The, the fun listings to type in are the ones that have the data statements that... Uh, oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. Yeah. Get those wrong. Dozens and dozens of data statements, yeah. Exactly. You get that wrong, you can really blow things up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Especially if you don't save beforehand. I did that once with a... I typed in a Commodore 64 program, and I got too excited, and I ran it immediately, and it crashed the whole thing. So like, and I I never went back to finish it because I was like, nah, uh, uh-uh, not doing it. <laughs> I've got other things to do. What else do you do in the retro world or outside um, of the retro world? Well, I have a podcast that's on a bit of a hiatus. Um, I'm recording stuff now to kind of get back into it. It's called the Memory Machine. It's about all sorts of topics. Anything, the subtitle I give it is a historical, anecdotal, pop cultural podcast. Mm-hmm. So we talk about any sort of aged pop culture topic going from silent film to um, I'm talking with a couple of guys uh, this weekend uh, about the Atari 7800. And you talk about sort of the history of it and also like our personal experiences with it and and what they've what those things have meant to us. So that way we're not just repeating Wikipedia articles and we're actually providing some sort of insight. So I do that and uh, I've been soldering a lot lately with uh, quarantine, <laughs> you know, uh, being at home and not feeling very much in control of things. Uh, electronics projects are a great way to sort of, feel, you know, kind of give you back that feeling of control and and also just kind of give you that focus so that, it, it's it's been very therapeutic, I'll say, doing things like messing with the cocoa and I built that ZX Spectrum kit. I built the whole thing from the ground up. <laughs> um, I I made a ColecoVision controller just oh, for kicks, cool. and I put all the diodes in backwards the first time, so I had to start all <laughs> over again because <laughs> the schematic was wrong, um, which was real fun. That was the first. That was the first time actually that 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 I was that a project I was working on that the schematic was wrong. I felt so betrayed. I was so lied to. It was such a. It, it was it was a shock. Um, but uh, did that and then like I don't know. I built a thirty five watt audio amp because it's like it, it, you got to do something. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and I have a five year old son. And a one and a half year old daughter, but my son he enjoys a lot of the older stuff too, and I did not coach him in that direction. I, I didn't I didn't push him that way. He just kind of latched onto it, which I was uh, surprised by. But yeah, he loves to come in and see the Atari and the Famicom that I have, and he oh, yeah. he loves to he loves to um, type things in on on like the Coco or the Commodore 64, you know, he, he's been really enamored with coding lately, actually. He just got a bunch of books out from the library about coding, and I I shed a little tear. So proud. I didn't even push him. In, like I said, I didn't even push him in this direction. I just, 
You know, no, just, I think, he just genuinely wants to do it. And, yeah, that, that's the secret is uh, they have to want to do it. Yeah. It's just uh, <laughs> it's yeah. frustrating when you want them to do it. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> some do and some don't. That, that, you know, I don't have an analog for this because whenever I was growing up, you know, that, the the situation you just described, Nate, is interesting because your son is growing up in an age where there's so many more powerful computers than the Cocoa yet. He's using the Cocoa, right? Yeah. Uh, that would yeah, be like yeah. me when I was a kid using an ENIAC to type in programs when I had a Cocoa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It makes you yeah. wonder the, the frame of reference they're at, how that's going to affect yeah. the way they think about programming and computers in general. Yeah, I, I I think with with kids of that age, I mean, it's just it's something that's colorful. The words are nice and big on the screen, and it's simple enough that it makes a lot of sense. And I think the age also kind of adds to sort of a sense of mystique about it. You know, there's something kind of uh, al- almost alchemic about it. Yeah, <laughs> correct, um, right, and. Uh, and and I say this too as someone who's a, who's a bit younger. It's not so young now, but when I was a teenager, like that's when like iTunes was becoming a thing, and music was just like all on just a little hard drive that you carried around in your pocket. But it was then that like a lot of us started to gravitate towards things like vinyl records because <laughs> right. look, look at look at this. It's it's music that's physically manifest. Like how novel is this? <laughs> and I, I, I think I think that's why you see pinball come back is because it's something that you just can't create digitally, and that's what makes it so special. And I think that's another thing about these old computers too, um, even though it's still, of course, digital. But that there's a, a chunkiness, a, a very DIY spirit to it all that I find very inspiring. And a lot of other people I know who are around my age and even much younger than me feel the same way. Well, that's cool. Pretty cool. <laughs> Pretty cool. The Coco community is a lot of fun to, to be in. It's a very uh, creative space. Yeah, well, and it has been. Um, the past few years, we've had a lot of activity. Mm-hmm. So it's been good. It keeps someday that I'll, uh, a little bit. Someday I'll make it out to uh, Chicago for the Coco Fest. That'd be fun. <laughs> Hopefully we'll have another one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, someday. Yeah. Someday. <laughs> Cool. No, it's a good trip. It's a it's a good event, and it always has been. Mm-hmm. And uh, like you say, if nothing else, well, you're in the Chicago area. There's a lot of stuff to see there. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thanks for joining us, Nate. Uh, thanks. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much. Thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. It's a good interview. Good talk. So thanks for having me, gentlemen. <laughs> All right. Take All right. care. We'll take you care. Too. Are you looking for computer grade data track blank cassettes? Look no further than New York 10, featuring premium five screw shells with leader. Buy the best computer cassettes at factory direct prices. We have C5, C6, C10, C12, C20, C24, and C32. Cassettes as low as $7 per dozen. Save even more with our bulk discounts, as low as 38 cents per cassette. We also offer cassette cases, cassette caddies, and duplication services. If you're looking for computer data cassettes, there's only one name to remember. New York 10. So, Charlie, how was Fort Worth? Great. Did you see the Alamo? That's in San Antonio. How about the Space Center? That's in Houston. I'll bet the Capitol Building was really neat. That's Austin. You don't have to be very good at geography to get a great deal on the TND Color Computer 3 with one disk drive. Just $455.95 at your local Radio Shack store. 
I'm so excited. Phil and I are going to San Diego next month. I can't wait to see the Golden Gate Bridge. Radio Shack, America's technology store. Okay, hello Coco Cruisers. This is John Linville. I'm here with a little impromptu, <laughs> off-the-cuff technical segment. Seems to be the way I do them most of the time these days, but uh, it's not really intended to be that way, but it kind of works out that way. Oh well, if only I had more time off. Anyway, <laughs> so we have kind of a question popped up, I noticed in the Color Computer Facebook group. The question comes from uh, Steve Norton. And uh, he posts a couple of pictures uh, side by sides on the Cocoa, one of RGB, one of composite. And he says, um, when using RGB, I should expect the same colors on the screen as when I'm using composite, right? <laughs> ah, Steve, such a young man. No, <laughs> um, no that's a, that would be perfectly reasonable to expect, uh, but um, that's not what really happens. So I thought I'd... Um, take a minute and try to explain some of that. So first of all, the explanations I'm going to give here are specific to the North American Cooker 3s, the ones outputting video in the NTSC format. The reason why this only applies to those machines is because the machines sold in Australia and if they were sold anywhere else with PAL, they were modified, probably, arguably, in the way I'd say they should be modified. <laughs> Actually, the design probably should have been like this for all of the machines, but it wasn't. And what I'm getting at is those machines essentially only run with the RGB video output from the Goku's Gimme chip, this graphics interrupt memory enhancement chip, or the... Uh, the the service manual calls it the ACVC or Advanced Color Video Circuit. Uh, <laughs> why do those disagree? Well, who knows? It's probably Rainbow's fault or something like that. Anyway, never mind the discrepancy of the terms for the chip. The chip actually outputs video in two different formats uh, simultaneously, all based on essentially off the same data. The registers in the chip that point to graphics memory or whatever. It's, the same that goes to both directions out both RGB and the composite video circuits. So, sorry, back to the PAL machines. The, the PAL, they must have been a little later in the cycle, so somebody had enough time to <laughs> get a little sense or whatever. Those machines, they feed the RGB signals to a, a, an external circuit, which converts the RGB video signals into a composite video signal suitable for output to PAL television and so therefore the machine itself is essentially always running in RGB mode and I don't even know what happens if you try to put it in a composite mode if it even has those commands in the basic um, anyway don't bother <laughs> I'm told there's a separate little daughter board hanging off the bottom of the motherboard on those machines and that you know again that converts the RGB video signals out to a composite video to make it available on the back of the Coco 3s and PAL markets. Essentially, in the, in the, if your Coco 3 is PAL, it's essentially just always operating in RGB mode, which is kind of cool. As some of you may know, I have some experience with some um, exploits, shall we say, of what can be done with the NTSC video in the Coco 3. And if you're in PAL land, you're missing out on those. They're kind of cool. But as the French say, la vie, or something like that. <laughs> um, anyway, 
So why do you get different colors between the composite video and RGB? And so for those not familiar with the Coco 3, uh, you have on the back, you have a RF output, which is at least ostensibly similar to the RF output that you get, uh, that you have on a Coco 2. It serves the same purpose, use the same cables, all that sort of thing. And that is kind of an after-processed video point. <laughs> the video comes out of the composite out part of the Kimi chip and uh, is converted to RF for transmission to televisions before composite video was a, a sort of a standard thing. Maybe not even before, but <laughs> it wasn't quite a standard then, I guess. The composite video signal is coming out of, well, the Gimme chip has composite video output and that's feeding some external circuitry to actually do, well, I think it's external, <laughs> one way or another. Um, it's doing the conversion to composite video, external to the core of the chip at least. That's for the purposes of converting the data on the screen to uh, the data in the in the buffer, the frame buffer, to the colors that you see on the screen. The RGB works similarly. So what's the what's the big deal? <laughs> well, there's essentially two sets of amplifiers and other hardware plugged, you know, as part of the chip or connected to the chip. Yeah, I actually should have looked this up, but anyway. <laughs> Between the core uh, functionality, the core video generation, and the output of the of the chip, there's essentially two sets of circuits. One for RGB, so you end up with three different channels, a red, a green, and blue color channel. And then one for composite, which, um, of course, is three other channels, one for uh, Luma, and then two different phases for, you know, the color video output in, in composite video. And the processing of the chip itself, uh, as the video is processed and looks for each pixel, it essentially looks up numbers for the pixel's color data that translate to pointing into the set of registers that hold the palettes, the palette values, the palette registers for those colors. And so the thing is, there's one set of palette registers, with, so one set of values active at any given time, and that one set of values for the power registers goes off in both the RGB direction that ends up at the RGB port and in the composite direction which ends up out of the composite video port. The dirty little part is, is there's no no there's no filtering, there's no interpretation of that data in between. Well you might think you just define them say for RGB with you know a couple of bits for each color, uh, for you know each of red and green and blue and then just map that over to for composite. The circuitry that's doing the color conversion is essentially too simple for that. <laughs> um, you know, too simple in the sense that it just doesn't do that. You know, you have this one set of register values, goes off to both of these circuits, and one circuit, they decided to interpret those bits in the register values as bits of red, green, and blue. And in the composite video direction, they just literally interpret the same set of bits for completely different purposes, which is essentially for um, chrominance and luminance, you know, meaning brightness, you know, and color. <laughs> so, it's, I don't know if that's made it clear or not, but you know, you've set, you put down a value, say a five, <laughs> in the register or a nine, whatever value you like. When that value is read by the RGB hardware, color generation hardware. Uh, it looks at the bits, the binary value of the five you put in there, and it looks at certain bits represent parts of the red signal, and parts of the other bits represent parts of the green signal. 
and also for blue and it combines them and generates a you know a, a well, six bits worth of color on them <laughs> to go out but you know like i said literally generates the three different color channels and that sends them on its way to the monitor but again when, it, when the, the same bits they go at the exact same time they come to a fork in the road and they take it. <laughs> well, you know, one goes down to the RGB path with the same number, the same bits go down to the composite video path. And there it starts picking up the bits and it doesn't care anything about red and green and blue there. It can, it says these bits define the luminance and these bits to define the phase angle for the chrominance. And it's the same bits. The same bits go down two different paths to two different color generator hardwares. And so, not shockingly, if you have both RGB and composite plugged in at the same time, you're gonna see different colors uh, in you know the same pattern, the same physical pattern of graphics because it's still interpreting the same data, but there's gonna be different sets of colors. And if anything, the only, the only part that's really amazing <laughs> uh, is they managed to line it up where the background green is it's not quite the same in a you know snooty um, I'm a color expert kind of way but they're close enough <laughs> and so that's like the whole little miracle of it all and I'm sure somebody had to tweak things a little bit to make that happen but everything then else is, is displaced from there yeah so that's why you get two different sets of colors from those two different ports they're literally taking the same values and and then sending them to two different color generators without anything to translate between the the color generation inputs <laughs> and then the, the outputs are different because of the way the the different video standards work and so you end up with different colors it's the same value um represents two different colors now again in the pal land they took care of this by essentially leaving the composite video from the gimme disconnected and only hooking up the RGB video and plugging that into a composite video board that does all the conversions for you. I wish they'd have done that everywhere and the world would have probably been happier, but <laughs> it's not what Tandy chose to do. Um, no doubt related to cost somehow, but I don't really know. So yeah, you end up with the two different standards. And like you say, that's why when you exploit the NTSC video mode, which you can do on the on the US and Canada, the other North American Coco 3s, to get 200, well, eight bits worth of color, essentially 256, it might be 224 or whatever, eight bits worth of color on the North American Coco 3s in composite mode, you don't get the same results <laughs> on the uh, PAL ones because the hardware that literally hooked up differently. Now, in the comments from the question there for Steve Norton, whenever you get a question about this sort of stuff, you'll always see there's somebody who picks up this this old um, old joke uh, and says uh, NTSC stands for never twice the same color uh, or never the same color twice or you know something like that never the same color and haha it's funny you know whatever and if you're a color snob maybe that's kind of true and there certainly were few adjustments to be made on, on TV sets back in the day especially the cheaper ones but it really doesn't apply <laughs> to this particular situation um, yeah, it is only NTSC machines, but that's only because of how they're literally built, not because of some factor of the NTSC video just somehow being, you know, unreliable or whatever the implication is. I mean, you're literally fitting different numbers to two different sets of hardware that, 
interpret them to mean different things. And so, of course, you're going to get different colors. So, you know, enjoy your NTSC joke, but this really doesn't apply here. <laughs> All right. Well, um, that's probably enough talking for now. Let's see. Check my notes to see if I missed anything. Um, oh, yeah. So, uh, on the NTSC Coca 3s, there is a pallet command in the Super Extended Color Basic. So, yeah, you can do pallet CMP or pallet RGB. And those um, basically change for the monitor. So, you get your standard colors for, for like your CLS commands or whatever, they'll still look correct. Again, it's not really a hardware thing, except that it just puts the different numbers in the pallet registers to map them as close as. Well, somebody thought it was reasonable at least. Yeah, so the key point is the different color generation hardware being fed from the two, two different sets of hardware for color generation being fed from the same set of registers. So, of course, you get two different colors. Well, yeah, there's only one set of gimme registers. You know, if they had somehow said, well, here's the NTSC gimme registers and here's the composite gimme registers, then, you know, as long as you set them up to match, uh, you know, <laughs> the colors as best as possible, then they would look fine, but that's not what happened. Okay, that's all everything in my notes. So, <laughs> I hope you enjoyed this little bit of um, technical pedagogy. Pedagogy. I'll say goodnight now. Goodnight, Gracie. And, um, you know, let you get on with the rest of the show. Okay, Coco Forever. Thanks. Surprise her with a gift of jewelry. What's this? Like the floppy disk pendant outlined in white sapphires, handset in sterling silver for just $129. <sighs> Or the charming green bar brooch with alternating lines of white sapphires and emeralds for just $249. Show her that she means just as much to you as your computer. I love it. Only at Eckert and Macaulay Jewelers. Are you tired of blindly reaching behind your Coco just to find the reset or power buttons? Can you even tell when your Coco is powered on? Avoid the risk of life-threatening electrical shocks and painful lacerations that lurk behind your computer with reset power switches from Morton Bay Software. Move the power switch and reset switch where they belong on the front side of your Coco. The included LED will tell you when your Coco is powered on. Made from only the highest quality components, Coco 1, D, and E boards and Coco 2s feature totally solderless installation. Coco 1F boards require some soldering. The Coco 1 kit is just $24.95. The Coco 2 kit is just $27.95. End the agony of guessing where those buttons are. Order your reset power switches today. Morton Bay Software, Division of Morton Bay Laboratory, Santa Barbara, California. Welcome back to Neil's Corner on episode 64 of the Coco Crew Podcast. On this month's segment, I'm going to make a mention on Rick Adams' new Coco 3 game. In case any of you don't know Rick Adams, he is a prolific Coco Games programmer. He brought us Temple of Rom in Shanghai back in the day, and he recently brought us Bomb Threat, Temple of Rom 2, and now this new game called Omnistar. If you ask me, I'd say Rick is on a roll lately, coding us all these awesome new games for our Cocos. Omnistar is a game for your Tandy Color Computer 3 and requires an RGB monitor. The game sets out in the year 2525, and the worldwide intrusive surveillance net Omnistar encircles the globe with satellites in orbit around 20 of the world's most prominent cities. You are a hacker, and your mission is to take down Omnistar. The object of the game is to damage the Omnistar so that the system status is at 0%, but if you are attacked, user status goes to 0%, and then the game is over. You get to use commands such as load, save, and exec, which I find very cool, because it's a play on the Coco commands. 
I must say this game is very original, and I give credit to Rick for not only coding this fun game, but coming up with this game concept. It is released at this current time on a disc image. You can run from a Coco SEC Super IDE, or transfer it to a real floppy, or you can use DriveWire. If you are interested in purchasing this game from Rick, you can buy it at rickadams.itch.io slash Omnistar. I'll make sure the link is provided in the show notes. As for the price, he has it set to name your own price. I thought that was a nice touch, but let's try to support him and not offer a lowball amount. This way he'll be inclined to produce more great Coco games for all of us to enjoy. Well, there you have it. Another brand new game for your Coco 3. Until next month, happy Coco gaming and game on. Inside this week's Rainbow Magazine, don't miss our exclusive free Coco Cat Iron On. And it's only in the Rainbow, the Color Computer Monthly Magazine. The Rainbow features more programs, more information, and more in-depth treatment of the Tandy Color Computer than any other source. The Rainbow is a pot of gold for your color computer. Pick up yours before they're all gone. Well, we have reached the end of episode 64 on the Coco Crew Podcast. Doesn't it kind of remind you of when you've reached the end of a Rainbow Magazine back in the day? As usual, I'd like to give a huge thanks to our host... John Linville for procuring all the news articles and providing us with very knowledgeable tech segments. Also, thanks to Mike Rowan for painstakingly editing the podcast and creating those awesome commercials. Big thanks goes out to Boise Pete, our Coco historian. He remembers it, so you don't have to. I'd also like to thank Nathaniel Lockhart for providing us some of your time to record an interview with you. Last but not least, I'd like to thank all of you who listen and support us each month. We also really do appreciate your feedback. Well, until next month... Happy cocoing and retro forever. It's a blast from the past. Please listen carefully. Coco. Like there's no tomorrow. What is this crazy rock and roll music anyway? It's a blast from the past. Dance, dance, dance.
Go. <laughs> <laughs>